As I already said a few times, we're going to be closing up this, uh, really, I hope, this very encouraging sermon series we've went through over the past four weeks on God's love, specifically as demonstrated through the gospel. I hope that as we've examined God's sacrifice and as we've examined his mercy towards us, the truth of his word, and then now his faithfulness, I hope it really encourages you in your faith. We all need that from time to time. And so uh, as we continue this morning, um, I want us to focus on this last thing we're going to look at, this last word, faithfulness, and begin to think about that word now, maybe even define that word. What is, what, when, when I say faithfulness, what, what do you think of? What, what comes to mind when I say faithfulness? Of course, we'll examine that a little bit more, but it will be helpful to begin to think about that now. But before we do, I've got a little story that I want to, that I want to start with. There was a couple that had uh, two little boys, uh, ages eight and 10, that were incredibly Mischievous, just incredibly. Uh, if anything went wrong in town, as a small town, if there was any trouble in town, you could pretty much bet somehow these young boys were involved. Uh, and so their parents were kind of at their wits' end, just really didn't know what to do. Everything they tried seemed to fail, but they heard there was a pastor in town who had helped with some discipline problems with some other children. And so they thought, you know what, let's see if he'll take on our children, see if he'll help out at all. And so after a little discussion, they took these two young boys, ages 8 and 10, to this pastor. And the pastors agreed to help. But he said, I, I want to I meet with them individually. I want to meet with them individually. And so uh, he took the 8-year-old the boy uh, one day and sat him down in his office and tried to get a baseline of, of what this little boy thought about God to see where he could start his counseling and his, and his, and his correction. At. He asked him a very simple question. He asked the little boy, he said, uh, Son, where is God? The little boy just kind of sat there, didn't say anything for several seconds. Well, the pastor became a little upset that he wasn't getting an answer. So a little more sternly, he said, son, I'm talking to you. Where is God? And the little boy just sat there. And again, several seconds went by. He said, said nothing. Finally, the pastor was getting a little bit uh, at his wit's end. So he very sternly, one more time, said, son, I am talking to you. Where is God? And at that, the little boy stood up, ran out the door as fast as he could, ran out the doors of the church, ran home, ran in his house, and Ran in his room and, and, and got in his closet and closed the door. Well, his 10-year-old brother saw him come in, upset like that, and followed him into the closet and said, and said, what's wrong? And he said, there's a big problem. We're in big trouble this time. They think God's missing and that we did it. <laughs> You'll see how that story plays into what we're going to talk about this morning. But we've already looked at the beautiful expression of God's love through three other uh, definitions that are found in that word steadfast, steadfast love when we talk about God's love for us. Of course, steadfast love is defined by sacrifice first. We talked about the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ dying for our sins on the cross. Greater love have no man than this, than he who lays down his life for a friend. So we've already looked at the greatest expression, the greatest demonstration of God's love through sacrifice. It was a few weeks ago. We looked at mercy uh, two weeks ago now. Mercy being defined as forgiveness offered, forgiveness given, 
even when someone has the authority, the power, and the right to punish. That's the definition of mercy. And if you've missed any of these, you can, you can catch these, catch up on this series on our website. Last week we looked at truth, which the Word of God, even though we might not look as truth as glamorous as sacrifice and mercy is, truth is vitally important, vitally important to love and how God demonstrates His love. And of course, this week we're going to look at faithfulness. And faithfulness, I, I saved it for the end because it really, faithfulness is the thing that holds all this together, church. And we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out and learn that as we continue. And I think faithfulness is a trait that every human being appreciates, isn't it? Think about that. Faithfulness. Every human being appreciates faithfulness in a relationship, don't we? We look at our wives, even with our children, with our friends. Faithfulness. They remain faithful to us and faithful to our promises is very important and very vital to a vibrant and healthy relationship. And so very uh, briefly, I want to kind of look at a human relationship where faithfulness is extremely important and then translate that to our relationship with God in a moment. But how many of you as parents have heard these words before from your children? How many have heard those words? But you promised. But you promised. I'm sure every dad and mom has heard these words before. And why do we hear these words? Why do do these words exist? It's because as humans, we are not often as faithful as we ought to be, are we? You see, I've oftentimes told my children, made a promise to my children, even something simple, like, hey, Dad, can we wrestle later tonight? And in the moment, I say, of course we can wrestle. Sure, we'll wrestle tonight. Without even thinking through the rest of my day. And realizing I have a a full schedule that evening. And so I'll tell them, yeah, we can wrestle tonight. The evening comes, and I'm out out of the house. I'm gone. And I get home, and as I'm putting the kids to bed, this has happened more than once. Dad, you, you said we could wrestle tonight. And I find myself having to backtrack, saying, you know what? You're right. I did. And I'm sorry. When I made that promise to you, I didn't properly think through my whole day. I'm sure we've all been there before. But that, the fact that we, we make mistakes and even say sorry to our children doesn't take away from the fact that our kids are deeply disappointed, aren't they, when we break a promise to them. Deeply disappointed. Why? Because all children crave promise-keeping. They crave faithfulness from their parents. They want to trust They want to trust. It's a God-given attribute. We want to trust in our parents. We want to trust that they will do what they say they will do. And so every child wants and needs a parent who is faithfulness. And really, if you look at Galatians 5.22, right, faithfulness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So as Christians, we will actually grow in our faithfulness, both to God and to each other. And really simply put, for you kids out there as you listen, what does faithfulness mean? And I want you to listen up at you young ones. What does faithfulness mean? If I were to define this very simply, it just means this. It's a biblical word that describes people who keep their promises. People who keep their promises. So even children, even you can be faithful to your parents, to your friends, and of course, most importantly, to God. But very often, as humans, I think we can be anything but faithful at times. 
And if I served a God that demonstrated faithfulness the way at times I do, we'd be in a load of trouble. A load of trouble. And I think that goes for any one of us. And so I'm glad God doesn't forget his promises. He keeps his word. When he makes a promise, he will deliver. And the faithfulness of God is foundational, foundational to our faith. The faithfulness of God, we're going to define that in a minute, is foundational to our faith. If we can't trust in what he says in the Bible, we have no reason to believe. If he doesn't keep his word, where our salvation is on shaky ground, and our hope really is empty. But if God does fulfill his promises, then our faith, of course, is meaningful. It's meaningful. And our eternal destiny is secure. God's faithfulness is vital to our security and our hope as Christians. And even though this is not the thrust of the sermon this morning, I want to digress for just a minute and speak to parents, especially to parents who have children in the home, which is a lot of us here at LWBC. Faithfulness is foundational to a happy, God-honoring home as well. Dads, moms, it is foundational to a happy, God-honoring home. Faithfulness. Children who have to deal with continual broken promises in the home find it difficult to trust significant people in their life. And actually studies show that it undermines their trust in God in adulthood. So if your children find it hard to trust you, it translates directly to their Christian walk. Then they find it hard to trust their Heavenly Father as well. But we're not primarily here this morning to discuss how woefully unfaithful we are. We're here to discuss God and his rock-solid faithfulness to us. And I say, praise God that he is not like us. And so I want to look at Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, which we did a couple weeks ago. And I want to expand on this. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The Lord's loving kindness, or if you're reading out of ESV, it will say steadfast love. Uh, or, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, NASB, it'll say steadfast love. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Now this verse is very interesting as we begin to break it down, and I'm going to leave it up here for a few moments moments as we begin to look at this. Uh, As you know, we've studied that phrase, steadfast love, and actually in the Greek and in the Hebrew, It can be defined as those things we've already talked about. Sacrifice, mercy, truth, and faithfulness. So in verse 22, the Lord says his loving kindness or his steadfast love indeed never cease. And so that word faithfulness is included in that definition. But yet, as we look at verse 23, he says faithfulness again. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness in verse 23. So why would it be important for God to tell us in verse 22 about his faithfulness and then in verse 23 basically tell us again about his faithfulness? Now this is very important. It seems redundant, but it's actually not. God is actually telling us two different principles here in verse 22 and 23. What God is doing through his incredible word is not only describing the nature of his love in verse 22, loving kindness or steadfast love, but in verse 23, he is telling us how it is applied. Very simply put, God is describing his love to us by being sacrificial, merciful, truthful, and faithful. He's making a statement. God is telling us about his love in verse 22. 
He's telling us something. But in verse 23, he tells us that because of his faithfulness to us, he will not simply tell us about his loving kindness, but in verse 23, he will show us his faithfulness. He will show us his loving kindness. He will apply it. He will demonstrate it to us. Actually, the Hebrew word here, two different words in verse 22 uh, with, for loving kindness and faithfulness. There's two different words, but the word, the, 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 in verse 23, the word translated faithfulness in English is a word called amuna. And it literally means faithfulness applied to men. That's literally what that word faithfulness in verse 23 means. So God tells us in verse 22 about his love, the characteristics of his love. And then in verse 23, he says faithfulness, which literally translated is faithfulness applied to men. Now you might not realize the significance of that yet, but that is so significant to how God loves us and how he shows us his love. We can literally read this verse then as follows. The sacrifice, mercy, truth, and faithfulness of God's love never cease. His mercies, and this is important, we don't have time to go into this too much, but his mercies or his compassions in this translation never fail. That means there's more than one. His mercies are abundant. They never end. They continue. It's not like God has one mercy for us. He has many mercies for us. He never stops giving them. But God's love never cease in his mercies. They are innumerable. They never come to an end. And God also, verse 22, never stops demonstrating and applying his promises to his people. He is faithful. God will never turn up missing, as those little boys thought in our story from the beginning of the sermon. He never leaves us alone. God never stops being faithful. Now, what if I were to promise you, oops, there's that word. That's a cool car. What if I were to promise you a Ferrari? By the way, good retirement gift, maybe 20 years from now or something like that. Um, what if I were to promise you a Ferrari? Ferraris are pretty cool. That's why I picked it. But they're also very valuable, very expensive. What if I promised you a Ferrari? I could tell you a thousand times I had a Ferrari for you, right? But if I never actually gave it to you, if I never actually gave you the keys, then I wouldn't be faithful. And that's what God's doing in, in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. He's telling us he has something far more valuable than that Ferrari for us. He has a deep and profound love, but it would do us no good if he wasn't faithful in demonstrating that love to us. Just like this Ferrari, I could tell you I have this. This is actually in my garage right now. This is just a picture. It's yours to have, but if I never gave it to you, I would not be faithful, and this Ferrari would not make any difference. No, if I were a faithful man, I would do what I promised. And so it is not good enough for God to simply tell us about his love and describe the attributes of it. He also tells us he applies it to our life. Emunah, that word, faithfulness applied to men. Faithfulness, brothers and sisters, literally is the glue that holds God, God's promises together. Literally, it's the glue that holds them together. Everything that God tells us in his word is upheld by his faithfulness to us. That is how important faithfulness is. And that's why faithfulness and that demonstration of love is so important to us. 
to kind of put a little bit of uh, teeth to that understanding, that faithfulness is the glue to God's mercy. I have some Lincoln Logs up here. So kids, pay attention. This is important. Even adults, pay attention. Let's, let's suppose these Lincoln Logs represent God's mercies, His promises to us. Obviously, there would be a whole lot more than this. Now, one of these are just God's promises. But let's say there was no faithfulness involved with these promises. If I were to hang on to just one of these Lincoln Logs, what do you think would happen? Kids, anybody? If I were just to hang on to one of them, what would happen? They would all fall, right? So these are God's mercies. These are God's promises. And if I were to hold on to just one, they fall apart, right? Let's say God wasn't faithful. That's what would happen to his mercies. There would be no... Uh, there would be nothing, no foundation behind them. Now, these are this represents God's promises. But we serve a God who's faithful. And so if I were to hang on to just one, they're going to stay together. All of God's mercies, all of his promises are upheld, are glued together, are kept together by his faithfulness. That is how important his faithfulness is. And if you think about our own lives, that's how important faithfulness is in our families, right? We can say anything we want to say. But if we are not faithful, those things fall apart. They're never followed through. God is not like that. Faithfulness is the glue that holds all of God's mercies together. So now I've got to deal with trying to get this apart later and hopefully salvaging these so my kids can continue to play with them. You see, in God's infinite love for his children, he remains faithful. He doesn't just tell us he's faithful, but he remains faithful. He remains faithful constantly demonstrating his faithfulness to us. He continually upholds his truths. He continually upholds his promises. If he tells us he will continue to uphold our salvation, guess what, church? We can stand in that knowing that he will. And this brings us to a very important point this morning, something that really the crux of our understanding of faithfulness depends on. The word faithful, I asked you to kind of think about that word. How would you define that word? If someone were just to ask, you don't have to say it out loud, but if someone were to ask you, how would you define the word faithful? What might your response be? I've heard it described as full of faith before. That is wrong. Faithfulness or faithful does not mean full of faith. There is a huge misunderstanding for some people here. Faithful means worthy of faith. So when we talk about God being faithful, it doesn't mean God is full of faith. It means he is worthy for us to place our faith in him. He is worthy of faith. Mom and dad, are you faithful parents to your children? Are you worthy of your children to place their trust in you? That is the definition of faithfulness. God is worthy of our faith because he never fails, because he never lets down on a promise. God's word tells us that without faith in him, it's impossible to please God. And I want to break this down a little bit here. But I thought about this this week, right? So let's, as believers, assuming you are a believer this morning, I think God's faithfulness is unquestionable. I think we all know God is faithful. We know that he upholds his promises, that he follows through in everything that he says. 
But why then is it so hard sometimes for us to put our faith in him? It really is a strange thing at first glance, right? A lot of times we, we fall into despair or we question God. Why this? Why that? All the while forgetting that God is faithful. We serve a God who is completely faithful. He loves us deeper and more profoundly than we could ever fully conceive. He has demonstrated it, both on the cross, of course, but he's demonstrated it time and time again in all of our lives. And I know if you've been walking with the Lord, even for a short time, every one of us can point to times in our life that say, yeah, God was faithful here and here and here and here and here. He upheld me through this time of difficulty. But I want to remind us this morning Remind us this morning of God's incredible faithfulness. If you are in a position in your life where you have forgotten how faithful God is to you, forgotten that God will see you through whatever struggle you're going through, that God will never leave you, that God will never turn up missing in your life, even if you think he has, I want to remind you that that's not true. God will never leave you. You see, as mere men and women, we give up on people far too easily. Far too easily. If I were God, which of course I'm not, I would have been done with mankind a long, long time ago. If my faithfulness was God's version of faithfulness, this whole man experiment would have been done a long, long time ago. We murder, we steal, we lie, we start wars, we commit genocide, we commit adultery, we abort our babies, we practice homosexuality and other sexual depravity, we disobey our parents, we slander, we gossip, we lie. Mankind rejects God's truth, rejects the Savior, he spits on God's extended hand of mercy. There are times, even as Christians, when we raise our fist to God, In anger, how dare you allow such and such a thing to happen in my life? There are times when we're so self-absorbed, we don't even give God another thought. God has created this entire world. The whole earth is proof of his incredible power. And yet there are millions of people that believe the earth created itself by a fairy tale Big Bang. God has literally created all of this, created us, sent us a Savior, given us mercy, remained faithful to us, and people still reject Him. I would have been done with us a long, long time ago if I were God. I would not suffer the people of earth any longer. But you see, God is not like me. Because God is true to His promises. He is faithful He has spoken promises that he will remain faithful until the appointed day where he comes to judge the living and the dead. There are promises in scripture that tell us that even though mankind stands in defiance against God, does so many wicked wicked things, that God will be patient with us. One of those is 2 Peter 3, 9. And one of the, and I know many of us know this, but it's so important to look at this. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Brothers and sisters, this is why God suffers us. Why he allows mankind to wake up with the rising of the sun every day one more time. Because he is patient, not wishing that any should perish. Not wishing that any should perish. He gives men 
a new chance, a new hope every day that we draw breath. And so every day that you awake, whether you are following Christ or not, God is remaining faithful to this promise from Second Peter. Or how about another one, one that we've already talked about this morning. This one is so vital, so important. If God wasn't faithful to this, we'd be in a load of trouble. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, God is faithful to forgive. And I am thankful for that every single day. And he's faithful not because we deserve it. We don't deserve God's faithfulness. We are faithful because he has promised it through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God stands upon his promises completely on his own power. His faithfulness is not dependent upon you and me. God's faithfulness is dependent on his own word, his own word of truth. One of the most freeing in, uh, things you can realize as a Christian is that God doesn't base his level of forgiveness on our performance. Like, you did pretty good today. Not as, you, you, did, you, did, you did worse yesterday, so I'm going I'm to forgive you today. But maybe tomorrow I won't if you, if you do a little worse than the day before. See, our performance doesn't dictate God's forgiveness. It doesn't dictate his faithfulness to us. His forgiveness is not dependent upon how perfect or good you can be. He forgives because he loves us and is merciful to us because he is faithful to keep his promise that he will forgive if we confess our sins to him. He will forgive. He will not hold that back. And it can be hard for us to understand that because far too often our forgiveness is based on performance, right? Well, I'll forgive you as soon as I see some change. As soon as I see some change in your life, then I'll forgive. Then I can move on with you. That's how we forgive oftentimes. But that's not so with God. God doesn't forgive that way. Let's look at Romans eight thirty-eight through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now this is a profound scripture verse of God's faithfulness. Think about it. Nothing can separate you from God's steadfast love. Nothing. Because his love is not dependent upon you and upon your performance. God's love stands on its own account. Because he is faithful, because he promised to love you in a certain way, he will remain faithful to that. There is no force in heaven or on earth. There is not an angel. There is no principality of Satan, no evil force that can take God's love as being demonstrated, as being applied to you, away from you, will never be removed from your life. Neither past nor future, no sin of your past, no sin of your future is too great for God to remove his faithfulness from you. I want to say that again because I don't think we often live that way. There is not a sin in your past or in your future that will remove God's faithfulness 
from your life. I've known many people that have struggled with guilt, even as Christians, for many, many years after being forgiven that don't realize this promise right here. Nothing in your past will separate God's love and faithfulness from you. Nothing, not even a sin you will commit in the future will do it. If you stand here redeemed in Jesus Christ, redeemed by the Lord, God says there is nothing that will separate his love from you. No height, no depth, no any created thing will ever take God's faithfulness because his faithfulness is not dependent upon your performance. It stands alone on his word. And that is very, very reassuring. It should be very encouraging to every one of us, especially those of us who struggle at times with that feeling like, I'm not worthy, I'm not worth your forgiveness, Lord. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. Yes, he does. And he forgives you anyways. He forgives you anyways when we confess. There is nowhere you can go. There's no distance that you can go walk away from God that is too great that he will suddenly not forgive you anymore. That he will suddenly refuse to be faithful to you. No, when we turn to Christ and confess, it doesn't matter where we are, where we've went, God is there to faithfully forgive and to heal our brokenness and to grant us everlasting life. That is a profound truth of God's love. And I think we all need to rest in that probably more often than what we do. Probably more often than what we do. You are justified by faith. You are justified by faith. That's a statement that I thought about near the end of this week that I really wanted to to, to break down a little bit. Because if God is faithful, then that requires a response from us. If we are justified by faith and God is worthy of our faith, that requires a response from us. So it's not good enough for me just to convince you this morning that God is faithful. We also need to talk about our response to God's faithfulness, which is faith. Why are we justified by faith? That was a question that really, um, when I, when, uh, that's how I think about the word of God when I look at it. I think, okay, why is God saying this? The first question I usually ask when I'm studying a passage or reading, why is God asking this or why is God telling this? Why are we justified by faith? Why doesn't God justify those who love him well? Or maybe uh, show a great commitment to him? Or maybe a great contentment in their faith? Or maybe why doesn't God justify us by our wisdom? These are all good things, I think, that we would all say, yeah, all those things are good, love and commitment and, and contentment and wisdom, those are good things. Why doesn't God tell us that we're justified by those things? No, he tells us we're justified through faith in the one who is worthy of our faith. Belief in the work of Jesus Christ. That's how we're justified. And I thought about this, and, and the answer to that why question is because faith is the one attitude of your heart that is the exact opposite of depending on yourself. If I came to Christ to seek salvation and it was based upon my ability to love him, or be my ability to be committed and stay committed to him, or my ability to be content at all times, or based on my own knowledge and wisdom, then I would be coming to Christ trying to offer him something that I can give him. Some way to prove to him that I'm worthy of being saved. 
But faith is not like that. That's why we're justified by faith. Faith says, I come to you, Lord Jesus, and I give up. I give up. I surrender. I don't have the answers. Actually, I have none of them. But you have them all. I have faith in you and you alone to save me. I can't do it. Brothers and sisters, faith, of course, is seeing, is believing something we cannot see, but it's deeper than that. Faith is the ultimate end of self. It is the ultimate form of vulnerability. When I come to Jesus Christ in faith and place my faith in the one who is worthy of my faith, what I say to him is, Lord, I have no hope in me. I can't do this. I can't save myself. I have faith that you can, though, that you can save me. Praise God for that. Faith says that my fate is tied to the work of Jesus Christ. And that alone. And if God is not faithful, brothers and sisters, we will lose everything. That is why faith leaves us so vulnerable. While faith is the ultimate understanding of the end of ourselves. Where we give up on trying to do anything ourselves. Because faith says, Jesus Christ, I rely on you and you alone. Nothing else. Faith is hard because we no longer rely on our strengths or our own reasoning. We rely totally on God. And friends, praise God. Praise God that he is faithful. Because if he weren't, we'd be in a load of trouble. That our faith is well-placed. Our faith is secure. God loves us so much that he will always demonstrate his faithfulness to us. And if you have repented, confessed your sins before Jesus Christ, and you are following him today, you never, ever have to question, never question God's love for you. Never question his demonstration of his love for you. He's already sacrificed his son. He's already offered you mercy and grace when you deserve death and punishment. He's already promised to speak the truth to you at all times, and he has in his word. And he's always promised to remain faithful. That is God's love for you this morning, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He will never abandon you. He will never abandon your salvation. And as Christians, we can rest in the fact that God will never take vengeance upon us for our past sins. He will never make us pay the penalty of death and hell for our transgressions. The problem is I think we far too often forget the nature of what we are promised through Jesus Christ. As Christians, we desire holiness, right? We desire to be more like God. We desire for God to continue this work in our lives of sanctification. But the promise of complete holiness will never be fulfilled until that day when we stand before him. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we enter eternal rest in heaven. And so there's always a struggle with sin. And sometimes that struggle, I think, messes with our mind a little bit. And we say, you know what? This sin that I just committed finally is the sin that broke the camel's back. This is finally the sin where God says, you know what? You've done this a hundred times before, and this one sin, nope, you're cut off. That's not how God works. It's not how God works. He remains faithful. Even though we slip into sin and into despair from time to time. 
You will never commit that final sin where Jesus says, nope, nope, you're cut off this far. I will forgive you. But anything after this, no more. It doesn't happen. And so yet, even though we will struggle with temptation and sin from time to time, God still tells us, actually in Romans 8, that we are overwhelming conquerors through Christ Jesus. Our struggle and even flat-out failure from time to time, God still calls us overwhelming conquerors. Why? Not because of anything we've done. Because Christ has already conquered. He's already conquered. He's already offered forgiveness. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, He has already applied that forgiveness on your behalf. Nothing can separate us from God's continuing demonstration of love and faithfulness. And if we are overwhelming conquerors, a conqueror is somebody, a conqueror is somebody who can never be conquered. And we can rest in salvation because of that. Because we belong to Jesus. And what in Scripture says, what shall we fear then? What shall we fear if we belong to Christ? And so even our earthly struggle ought to be a reminder, not only of the glory to come, that God has something better for us, but it is a reminder of our desperate, continuing, daily need for God to prove his faithfulness to us. And he will. God is patient. He's long-suffering with you. He's long-suffering with me. Don't let the guilt of your past sin or your sin of yesterday or maybe even your sin of tomorrow take away the rest and the peace and the joy we have in our faithful God. Just as a side note, I couldn't go into this too much today because I couldn't go too long. But patience is such an important, plays such an important role in faithfulness, doesn't it? If God was not patient with us, he wouldn't be faithful to us. Think about that in your homes, even with your husband and wife or your children. Patience, which is also one of the fruits of the Spirit, which comes before faithfulness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Patience is a vital part of faithfulness. Think about that in your own homes too, mom and dad. I need to grow in my patience. We need to grow in our patience with each other too. Jesus knows our struggle, church, because he walked just as we walked. He knows our frailty because he tasted the bitterness of a frail body in death. And he knows that our flesh will continue to try to corrupt us all the days of our lives. That is the reason he had to finish the work God gave him on the cross. We are sinners saved by the grace of God. We actually deserve to be called overwhelming failures. That's what we deserve because of our sin. Yet for all this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to that. There is now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus because he is faithful to forgive. He is faithful in his love towards you and towards me. Amen. The good news then is this. While we will never be free from temptation or struggle on this earth, we'll never be free from failure, praise God that we are free from the penalty of that failure. There remains no condemnation because the price has been paid in full. 
And Jesus has conquered death and applied it to your account. If you are following him, no one can conquer Christ. And we belong to him, children of the unconquerable God, the faithful God, the God whose love never fails and will never be removed from you all the days of your life. I've known uh, several people throughout my life that have uh, actually been very old in age. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to say what I think is old because I don't want to get in trouble. But much older than me who have struggled with their whole life feeling guilty for the sins of their past. Brothers and sisters, you need to let go of that. God wants you to let go of that because he already has. If you are in Christ Jesus, it is done. That sin is separated from you. You will never pay for that sin because Jesus has already done that. So remember that when you struggle with temptation, when you fall into sin or into despair, remember this, that God is worthy of your faith and that we are justified by placing our faith in the one who is worthy. And the one who is worthy of our faith will always remain faithful to his promise. When you read the word of God, the truth that is in it, and there is a promise there, we can take it to the bank, church. God will remain faithful to it. So remember that when you think God has given up on you. When you think that God has went missing from your life and it's your fault. That you have finally sinned that one last time or God says, now nah, I'm done with you. And I think all of us have probably been there before. That's the voice of the enemy. And we need to say no. We are overwhelming conquerors in our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. No matter how far you think you've strayed away, God is faithful and he will forgive when we confess. We should never find joy in our sin, of course. But each time we do sin, we ought to give God glory that he's already defeated that power over us. And I want to make just one more point here before we close. As humans, we were given the ability by God to place our faith in something. And I want to remind us this morning, we will all place our faith in something, whether it is God or money or our job or our family or fill in the blank with a number of other things. We are all going to look to something for our joy, look to something for our peace, look to something for our happiness, look to something for our security in this life. There is only one thing in this life that is worthy, worthy of our faith. And it is Christ Jesus, our Lord. So if you find yourself putting your faith in anything else, that is misplaced faith. That is foolishness. All those things in this world will fail you at one point or another. Every one of them. There's only one who will never fail because he is faithful. He is faithful. That is why faith is the ultimate form of surrender. We surrender everything to God. And that is why that is what justifies us. Because salvation has nothing to do with what you and I have done or ever could do. And so from, no matter how far you think you've strayed, God is faithful to forgive. He is faithful to forgive. Blessed is the man whose sin or transgression 
is not counted against him. Blessed are you if you are in Christ Jesus, because your sin will not be counted against you. And God will always do what he told us he will do. And he tells us this. Oops, I missed that one. I think I skipped the whole page. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You can take that to the bank, church, because God is faithful. For God so loved the world by sacrifice, by mercy, by truth, by faithfulness. Loved the world that he gave. See that? Here we go again. Not only is he telling us, but he's proving it to us by applying it to our lives. He gave, he did something, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is faith in action. Do we believe that God is faithful? We ought to. Because he promises eternal life to those who trust him, to those who surrender to him in faith, those that rest not on our own ability, but in his faithfulness. Those that rest in his faithfulness will never see, I'm sorry, will forever see the demonstration of that faithfulness, not only here on earth, but also for eternity in heaven. Brothers and sisters, that is encouragement. That is encouragement. That is the nature of the God that we serve. He is faithful to you and to me. And he will remain so until your very dying day. And then he will remain faithful throughout eternity. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful this morning for your word. We're so grateful for the truth. And we're so grateful for your love, Father. So grateful for your love. Father, as we learned last week, and I was reminded all this week, everything we learn ought to be for the purpose of loving you more and loving each other more. And so, Father, I pray this morning that as we have looked at your faithfulness, it will drive us to you. It'll drive us to be even more committed to you. That we will not only recognize your incredible love for us, Father, but that we will rest in it. And that we will reciprocate it, both to you and to others. Teach us, Father, to love the way you have loved. Teach us to sacrifice for one another and for you. Teach us to have mercy upon each other. Teach us to rest in your truth and to find comfort in it. And Father, teach us to place our faith wholly in you, the one who is worthy of our well-placed faith. Remind us this day, Father, of your faithfulness, that we might rest and be encouraged. And I pray, Father, for great joy and peace in our lives as you continue to open up your truths to us and help us to understand just how incredible your love for us is. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray these things. Amen.